It's been some time since we've done this, and so we're, we're not getting the whole thing together. We're going to let them come down, and then we're going to talk about whatever the, about this particular passage. Okay, always. Oh, well, that's, that's really good. Well, well, okay. Hi, Live Feed. Hope you're well. Uh, glad you're with us, as always. I tell you, I'm glad that you all were able to come back because let me just tell you, I had to preach in some circumstances in which there was no congregation that was just that, and it's weird. It's just all there is to it. It's weird. But anyway, so we do that, and so uh, I encourage you to be there Thursday. I encourage you to uh, be praying for leadership, praying for the things that need to be done. Carter is the moderator of our association, so if anything goes wrong, we blame it on him. Uh, He's a pastor. He's used to it. So anyway, so I want you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to the 26th chapter of the book of Matthew. Matthew, the first book in the New Testament, and I want you to get to the 26th chapter. Now, here's what, uh, here's what we're going to be talking about tonight, today. That's going to be the Lord's Supper and the things that went around that, that particular event. I want you to, I, when I was a kid, and actually a young adult even, um, there was broadcasting of ball games on the radio was much more common than it is now because uh, now all of a sudden you see everything on television. But I remember growing up, my brother was a huge Georgia Bulldog fan. Just loved it. Loved it. He was so ecstatic yesterday when all the people from Georgia were, were drafted. It was great. But one of the things was we, I would listen to the games occasionally. And they had an announcer named Larry Munson. Larry was a big-voiced, big guy. And he was, he was kind of like the uh, honorary person for the football team. And when he got ready to call the kickoff, he always said the following, get the picture. Get the picture. We're at Stanford Stadium and the, the Bulldogs are in their red with their silver britches and their red helmets with a stripe. And the other team, we describe those. And, he said, and they'll be, the Georgia will be going from left to right on your radio dial. Now, for those of you who are Gen Xers or Millennials, if you'll see me afterward, I'll explain what a radio dial is, because you've never seen one, but I'll be glad to share it with you. But uh, anyway, but th- get the picture. Well, that's what I want us to do today about the 26th chapter of Matthew. This comes at the end of a traumatic week. The minute that Jesus had the triumphal entry, the trial entry on Palm Sunday was a, was, a, was a time in which he was being praised. As a matter of fact, people who study this more carefully than I say that when he got the donkey that he rode down on, he didn't ride very far down. Instead, what he did was he rode to where everybody in the city could see him on that mountain. Everyone could tell where he was and what was going on because... In seeing him, 
what happened was they realized that he was proclaiming himself to be the Messiah. He was proclaiming himself to be the Messiah by just being in that situation. In all probability, he got off and went with his disciples into the into Jerusalem. Now, when you think about coming into Jerusalem, and the gate he probably came in off the Mount of Olives, there's a little dip, and they rise up, and you see them. See everyone who's going, and the praises and the worship was kept what's happening. That was what happened on Palm Sunday. We know what happens on Good Friday, and we know what happens on Easter Sunday. But we need to realize, if we're going to get the picture of all the things that we're building up to that particular moment of the Lord's Supper. Beginning with the first verse. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these things, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days in the Passover, and the Son of Man will be delivered and be crucified. First thing to remember, Jesus didn't hide who he was. He certainly didn't hide what was going to happen. And he says straight out, I'm going to be crucified in a couple of days. Still, his disciples were not buying that. They didn't think that was actually going to be possible because they'd seen Jesus healed. They seen Jesus' strength. They figured, that's not going to happen. Jesus won't let that happen. But indeed he did. And the uh, chief priests, in verse 3, and the scribes and the elders of the people assembled, and they, at the palace of the high priest, who is called Caiaphas, and plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. So the religious leaders were the folks that were going to get him, right? But the next verse is amazing. They said, uh, but they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Imagine, they're so politically correct and dialed into what they want to do, they recognize the public relations problem of crucifying Jesus. Because Jesus was seen as a teacher and a healer, and they, if they did this during the Passover, they would be in trouble. But they had another plan. They'd wait till after the Passover before they would kill him. And he said, uh, verse 6, And when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, Bethany is about two miles from Jerusalem, and it's probably the path that Jesus took every day when he was going in and out of Jerusalem. Bethany was, was a place that he resided and stayed for a little while. And then he says, um, a woman came to him having an alabaster flask, a very costly fragrant oil, and she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. This woman broke open because you couldn't open the, the container in any other way other than to break it. So, this lady broke this very expensive oil and anointed Jesus, poured it over his head. Now, you think to yourself, okay, okay. It's very costly. What was it? It was probably the oil that had been set aside for her burial or a loved one's burial. In that era, that type of oil 
would be worth about a year's wages for the common person. So if they were willing, if she was willing to do that, she was sacrificing so that the Lord could be anointed. And uh, the disciples did what the disciples normally do. They, uh, they kind of put, put their foot in it again. When the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why the waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold and for much and given to the poor. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said, Why do you trouble this woman? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not have with me always. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my best. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, that this woman has done will be known by everybody, be mentioned forever. So they, she was going to have a, a, a memorial to her was going to be this action she took to bless Jesus. So now, Jesus is in Bethany, getting ready to roll out to Jerusalem again. And he realizes that his death is very close at hand, very close at hand. So what happens? Well, the next thing that happens is that says in verse 14, then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, what will you give me to deliver him to you? And they counted out 30 pieces of silver. So from that time, he sought the opportunity to betray him. Now on the final, first day of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus and said, where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? Now, when they're, they're getting there and they're getting everybody together and they are asking to prepare the Passover, one of the people that was preparing the Passover with them would have been Judas Iscariot. Judas was, would, was going to betray Jesus. Now, the Old Testament has uh, many prophecies that speak about the betrayal, if you will. So Jesus knew what was up. Jesus, Jesus didn't even have to have the divine insight to know what was up. He knew something was going on there. And the reason was, I think, is because I believe that, that it was uh, the lead disciple being Judas was the one that complained about the all oil being used for Jesus' anointing. See, I think he thought about money and only money. You ever met anybody that does that? Mint money and only money? That's the whole focus of their existence is money. And that's what Judas was. And so Judas went to the high priest and he said, what do, you, what do you give me if I turn him over to you? And they, they counted out 30 pieces of silver, which was a large amount of money. And they gave it to him, and he then set a time to betray him. And when the question was asked, well, where do you want us to prepare the Passover? Jesus says, go into, the, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with, your, with my disciples. Now, Jesus was 
setting up all of the things that, that needed to be set up. And the, the, the folks, the d- disciples said, well, where are we going to have Passover? Because they probably been with him a couple, three years. They, they knew he was going to do Passover somewhere. The highest of all high uh, observances would have, been, would have been Passover. And so they say, okay, Jesus, what do you want us to do? He said, go in and see a certain man. Now, I'm about to go extra biblical for just a second. This is not in the scripture and may not be 100% correct, but I think it probably is. There were three types of folks in the Jewish leadership. There were the, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and the Essenes. Now, the Essenes lasted only about 250, 300 years before they petered out. But it's possible that Jesus was familiar with them. And one of the things they have is a vow of poverty. So they, they took a vow of poverty. And so uh, it would have been perfectly appropriate for there to have been a facility that they could use because he had, could talk to them and say, hey, we want to do it at your house. So... The Essenes were a, were a very different group of people. And it's interesting that the Lord never says anything about them. He's got some woe to you Pharisees and Sadducees and hypocrites, but he doesn't have anything to the Essenes. And we don't really know why, other than they, were, they had taken a vow of poverty, they had taken a vow of chastity, and they took that vow very seriously. By the end of the first century, they started in the second century B.T., by the end of the first century A.D., the, the, uh, the faith, if you will, the branch of Judaism was gone. So the disciples did as Jesus directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. Now, you and I have seen the Da Vinci uh, painting of the Lord's Supper. You know, the picture of, of the 12 disciples and Jesus at the table. Well, a couple things that are really problematic about it. But personally, I think it is the place of Jesus' greatest miracle. He got them on the same side of the table for the picture. <laughs> oh, that's okay. That wasn't that bad. They really all right. And so, uh, so that, there, there he was. They were lounging. There was a small table, which would have been probably no taller than the, than the pew you're sitting in, the bottom of the pew you're sitting in. That was the table. And then they took the, the, uh, the, uh, the feast, if you will, the Passover meal, and went through the, the major things that you go through on the Passover meal. One of the things is that the... Uh, Passover meal contains unleavened bread. And it also contains wine. So Jesus took those elements in just a moment and he acted upon those elements. The disciples still didn't fully get it. Now, in fairness to the disciples, we, we bang on them a lot. Like, he just told you he was going to be crucified. You, you, know, you don't believe him? You know, but the truth is, they couldn't have imagined it because Jesus 
had such power and they'd seen so many miracles, they couldn't imagine that Jesus would be executed by crucifixion. So they went and prepared the table. And at point in, the, uh, in that, Jesus says, the evening had come, he sat down with the twelve, verse 20. Now as they were eating, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. One of you will betray me. I know that you're going to do it. And the person who did it knew he was going to do it. But Jesus has said, someone's going to betray me. And they, they said, well, they were exceedingly sorrowful, it says. And each of them began to say to the Lord, is it I? Am I the one who's going to betray you? Now, what's interesting is that to me is that's a question that we ought to ask in our current setting. That is, do we ever betray Christ by not doing what we're supposed to do, by stand, not standing up to where we're supposed to stand up? Or do we ever do a betrayal of Christ or a betrayal of his message? I think so. So they, didn't, they were not so arrogant as to think there was no way they could be the betrayer. And so finally Judas asks, and he says, uh, Jesus says, verse 23, he who dipped his uh, hand uh, with me in this dish will betray me. And Jesus indeed, go, uh, excuse me, and the man indeed went out as it was written for him, woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It will be better for him not to have been born. Then Judas, who was betraying him, said, Rabbi, is it I? And Jesus says, you said it. Not he was trying, I don't think he was trying to be deceptive in any way. He said, you said it. You know it's right. You ever known something was right? Knew that you knew that you knew that it was right? And nobody was going to be able to take you off of that particular opinion because you knew you were right? So that's what Jesus was doing at that point. Jesus was like, you have said, is it me? And Jesus says, you said it. You said it. It's you who's going to do it. And the other disciples were troubled and disturbed. Verse 28 says, And as they were eating, Jesus blessed and broke the bread and gave it to his disciples and said, Take and eat my body. Just a moment, we're going to observe the Lord's Supper. In this congregation, anyone who is a believer in Jesus Christ and has had a salvation experience is welcome to join, regardless of your, where you might hold a church membership. But the thing that he, he wanted to give that illusion of what we were about to do. So what we're going to do is we're going to remember first what we need to do, which is the confession of where we have fallen short. Because I know I've fallen short. 
If I have any doubts, I can ask Deborah. I've fallen short on a, on a regular basis, I do. And you know you have as well. So one of the things that gives you the opportunity when we begin this part of the service is to pray and ask the Lord to forgive you. Not that he hasn't already forgiven you of your sins, past, present, and future, but ask for his forgiveness for what you have done recently that may have messed up your fellowship with God. Maybe you, maybe you feel like you've been far from God for a while. This is the opportunity to get right with God. And I encourage you to do that. Now, because we don't really have a good plan for this, I'd ask the deacons if they would come down so that they can serve the Lord's Supper. There we go. Thank you. All right. Very good. Let us. Here you go. Would you pray for us? Amen. should make noises like that.
if you'll be so kind as to remove the bread from the package you have. Jesus broke the bread and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do in remembrance of me. Let's reflect just a moment on the sacrifice that Jesus made of his body and of his blood. Jesus had taken the cup. He blessed it. And he says, as you drink this, do so in remembrance of me. The next 24 hours, in Jesus' life up to the moment of his death were very traumatic. You know that because we've just had the Easter story. You know the suffering that Jesus went through. But the important thing to remember is that he went through it for you. And he went through it for me. The most important aspect of salvation comes in the remembrance of the sacrifice Jesus made for each one of us. Scripture says that when they had finished, that they sang a hymn and left, going back to Bethany, those two miles. I want to pray, and then I would like for us to sing, and that serve as our benediction. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we thank you for the sacrifice that you made on the cross of Calvary, there is no way for us to understand the complexities 